great to be here. Good evening. How are you? I noticed that most people here say, fine. Is that right? Fine. I like that. I'm taking that home with me. If you could, please join me in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's been a blessing already being here, just doing ministry today, Jacob giving the gospel today, and the kids are so receptive over there. And we do look forward, as Josh said, to tomorrow and the next day. Please keep it in prayer. The gospel's going out. For this evening, in the next few minutes that we have, in Romans chapter 1, I should turn there. We are going to hone in on just one part of Romans chapter 1. You guys there? All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and that in the next few minutes that we have, you would be glorified and honored by the things that are talked about and that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts, God. May your will be done through the study of your word. We pray that in your holy name, amen. Okay, would you please look at verse 21, Romans chapter one, verse 21. Familiar, familiar verse to most, most likely. It says, <clears throat> because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Sound familiar? Well, the Apostle Paul writing the book of Romans is, without going into a whole giant introduction to the book of Romans, um, if there was one place on earth that seemed to be stamped on the heart of Paul, it would probably be Rome. It seems as if throughout his, his journeys, if you read the book of Acts and other letters, he's always, he's always mentioning, I've I got to get to Rome. Have you noticed that? Got to get to Rome. And when he writes the letter to the Romans, he writes it on his way to Jerusalem. And if you know about his journey to Jerusalem, you'll know he was confronted left and right by people telling him, do you remember what they were telling him? That... When you get to Jerusalem, hard, horrible things are going to happen to you. You're going to be bound, you know, pain is there for you, even to the point where Agabus, the prophet, binds his own hands and feet with Paul's girdle and says, you know, this is going to happen to the man who owns this girdle. And so Paul, in light of realizing Jerusalem may be his impending death, writes the letter, the epistle to the Romans, which I find to be important because you're, you're listening to a man when you read Romans. You're listening to a man who is speaking what he, he may believe to be the only chance, his last words kind of, to the Romans. And so because of that, it's so separate from all other letters, other epistles. He's not, um, he's not pointing the finger at different issues in Rome and saying you have to correct this and that and this and that like he does in other epistles like the, uh, the letters to the Corinthians, which are very uh, pointed about separate issues. 
Romans is very broad, but also very deep. It's not specific about issues, but it's as if he's anticipating any type of possible issue. And this is Paul pouring his heart out through the Holy Spirit. There's so much to cover in Romans chapter 1, but for now, please, verse 21 again. But he says, because that, because that, when they knew God, okay, the because that, just a little preface to that is he's talking about the wrath of God. Why is the wrath of, be, of God being poured out upon the unbelieving world? Because they knew God and they glorified him not as God. To know God and to not glorify him as God. That's the issue. That's, that's kind of the fundamental core issue. Knowledge itself, you know, it's not bad, but knowledge of God itself is nothing to boast of. To know about God or even to know God is, biblically speaking, a great heavy responsibility that should not be taken lightly. To know the things of God is a sobering thing and it should be because of the responsibility that then follows. If you know God and then glorify him not as God, well, there's repercussions for that. It says also they were, they were not thankful and because of this, you become vain in your imagination and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, <clears throat> knowledge without acting according to the knowledge, that knowledge will then condemn you, right? If, if you know something to be true and don't do it, well, then you're held responsible because you knew something was true but never did it. Um, Paul also writes that when the gospel goes forth, that people can be saved. He says to some people who receive it, it's like a beautiful scent, beautiful perfume. And then to others, those that reject the gospel, what does it become? It becomes an odor of death, a stench of death, the worst type of stench you could imagine. And it's the same gospel. The gospel can stink. The gospel can be wretched to the people that reject it. The same way that knowledge can be a horrible, detrimental thing to us if we hang on to it and do nothing with it. Those of us that know the truth and, and know who God is and, and don't glorify him as God or don't act on that knowledge, the thing we know is rotting us. It's, it's slowly decaying and killing us. It destroys the bearer of knowledge if nothing is done. A um, little bit about biblical knowledge. It's not as if all knowledge is bad in and of, in and of itself. You can know God. And in fact, John chapter 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, praise to the Father. That's our Lord's, that's the Lord's prayer, John chapter 17. 17 verse 3, he says, for this is eternal life. What is, this? What is eternal life? That you may know the Father. To know God, that's, that's eternal life. So knowledge of God is good. It's a part of eternity but it has to be followed by actions. Uh, knowledge that isn't used to glorify God will be used to sin. In fact, we're given light, so if we know something, those of us that have given, you know, we've been under good teaching, we know the word of God, maybe we're really skilled with verses and we can find where we know what, 
what verse somebody's talking about or we've, we've heard all kinds of Bible verses, well, that very light, if not used correctly, can be used to uh, cloak our vices. We can, we can have sinful behavior that we think in our own mind because we know God but are not glorifying him as God in every way. We use our, the, the knowledge to get away with things. Obviously, that's sinful. And I don't think any of us that profess to, to know Christ and call him Lord will say that we choose to do such a thing. But I am saying that whether or not we choose to do it, it does happen. We do not always act according to what we know. Amen? I mean, we know so much. I know that this church here knows a lot of Bible. Yet we don't lack in knowing, we lack in application, applying. That's, that's, our, that's the great fault of those who are filled with knowledge. Well, then you've got to live up to that knowledge, don't you? I, I've got to live up to that knowledge. Now, um, when Paul is writing this, he's writing about the lost world. Um, if you read the beginning of Romans, he's trying to explain to the reader how everybody falls under sin and the end of that is everybody to a degree knows about God. He's not saying everybody knows Jesus or has a relationship with the creator of the world, but everybody is born with an innate knowledge that there is, there is a creator, there is some higher being that has moral law, and he says that they know him, but they, they don't do anything about it. There are people in the world right now, and there always have been since, since sin entered the world. There are people that are wise. They're just, they're just wise people, not, not Christians, not saved. But you have to admit that they have a degree of wisdom. Have you heard about those people? Have you, maybe you can think of some people. Um, back in Paul's day, when Paul's writing Romans, a contemporary to Paul is a guy named Seneca. Have you heard of Seneca? Seneca was the professor of Nero. If, if you know about Nero, he's one of the worst emperors that ever existed. And that's saying something because they were atrocious. They were vicious, evil, pedophiles. Over 90% of the Roman emperors were homosexual perverts. Seneca just so happened to be the professor of Nero, who was probably one of the worst Roman emperors. Seneca was an extremely wise dude, and he would, he would uh, put out, you know, books that all kinds of people would quote, extremely morally, you know, good people would quote. In fact, he has things, he said, he's got one quote that's always stuck with me. Seneca said that men, just looking at humanity, said men both love and hate their vices at the same time. You can't get much more true than that, right? I mean, that's, boom, he, he hit the nail on the head. But Seneca, even though he knew that there, were, there was this epic conflict between good and evil, and men would choose their vice, the very thing that they, they, they hate, they know it's destroying them, still true today, it's just true of humanity. Seneca knew those things, but he would not acknowledge that there was 
uh, a creator, a God to be worshipped. And because of that, Seneca himself descended into crazy promiscuous sin, um, you know, overcame his life. He knew of God. He never actually glorified God. He never gave in to the, res- the responsibility. So you can't choose one without the other. If you know anything about God, you must couple it with the responsibility to act upon what you know. Again, this can be horrifying. The more you know, but let me just turn from the world and turn to actually um, something that might be more applicable, and that is we should consider the fact that what Paul is saying is probably more pointed towards us, us Christians. It's true that we know God, and what do we do? How do we glorify him as God? I just want to co- cover a couple things, practically. We can, we can uh, know God but not glorify him as God if we, let's say, um, <clears throat> we don't acknowledge that he is sovereign over our lives and he's in control of all everything. Some of us will, will say things, and we have, we've, got to, we've got to correct this, we'll say things around other non-believers maybe, people that are our friends but don't know the Lord, we'll say things like, oh, it's all working out for the good. But we're never any more specific than that. Or we'll be like, um, yep, I was fortunate. Or that was, that, was a, that was lucky. Or I don't know. Good always wins. Do you see how that's very vague and beating around the bush? You guys know what beating around the bush is? Okay. You're not talking plainly about what the truth is. We need to acknowledge, if we are going to be the opposite of these people that know God and and actually do glorify him as God, then we need to speak plainly of who God is. Glorify him as God, speak of the Lord Jesus being in control of our lives. Use his name. I work... um, I work in my occupation among unbelievers. And these unbelievers, they will say vague things because I know they believe that there is a higher being. That's, that's, but that's as far as it goes with them. They would say things like, yeah, wow, the, the big guys got it all under control. And you know what? For, in my scenario, if I would just agree with that, then that would be me knowing God but not glorifying him as God. I, I would be separating myself from what I really know to be true, and that is, no, he's not, he's not just the big man, right? He's not just some guy. He's the, my Lord, Jesus Christ, and he's died for all of our sins, and you can know him. That's my responsibility. You understand? You see where I'm going? That we have these responsibilities to not be vague. And I, I just want to make that point because I believe, I actually really believe that being vague in our Christian walk is like this first hint that our hearts are growing lukewarm. Being vague, trying not to cause any waves or ripples wherever we're at and uh, just be a people pleaser. It's the product of a lukewarm heart. And we are not giving God what he deserves. <clears throat> How about this? 
we, may, we might ascribe all of our good things to God, right? That's what we have to do. We have to ascribe the good things that we have to God. If we're gonna honor him and glorify him as God, then like James says in chapter one, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, every good thing. Well, do we do that? Do we honor him in our mind and, and, and acknowledge that, man, God has given me the ability to be here, the ability to come to church, the ability to go play soccer. You know, back home, uh, a lot of us have been shaken by somebody we know that has fallen into sin, he fell into drugs again, and the drugs cost him his legs. And I'll be honest with you. And then a few months later, he ended up dying. I'll be honest with you. Since then, I have honestly thought, man, Lord, thank you for my legs. And that's not, that's not a joke, but it is once you see people in need or without you start to thank the Lord, and, and rightfully so. If we know God, we should glorify him as God and, and praise him for what he's given us. Every breath that we take, every day that we're alive and have the ability to, to do anything, it's God giving us the ability to glorify him. The chief end of, all, of man is, after all, to glorify God, isn't it? The chief end, glorify God. Okay, so... In, in converse to that, if we are supposed to, with every breath and everything we do, glorify God, to the unbelieving world, every, all of the heathens in the world, the unsaved, every moment they're alive is a moment God's giving them to repent. Everything in their life is moving towards repentance. God is moving them and hurting them towards a time where they can repent. Every meal that they have that sustains them for another day, every drink of water that they have that gives them a little bit more life is so they can repent. And likewise, everything that we have is so that we can glorify God. Do we acknowledge that? Do we know God and glorify him as God and, and are thankful in that way? Uh, you can turn real quick to Isaiah. I could just read it, but you could look at it too. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah speaking about this similar uh, concept. Isaiah chapter one, verse three. The ox knoweth his owner, and the donkey his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people. My people doth not consider. Israel doth not know. They don't even, they don't consider it. What is, what's the Lord saying? Animals. Beasts, they, they obey. They know what the deal is. God says something, they do it. And then the Lord has to tell us through his word, my own people, the people I choose, they don't take time to consider. Beasts will obey God. The ocean will bow down before the king of kings and humanity will turn its back on the king of kings and, and say no, after they know God. He has, he has designed us to glorify and worship him as God. Okay. <clears throat> that being said, would you now turn back in your Bible 
but turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. To glorify somebody, especially Christ, is to, uh, well, well, it's often been said that if you crown anybody, it's, it's, that's their glory. That's kind of what kings, that's, that was the tradition. You crown them and their, the glory is their crown, so to speak. It's been said, what do we crown our Lord's uh, head with? What, what do we crown him with? If we acknowledge him as God, we are to glorify him and, and, and crown him. We know, of course, when we get to heaven, we're going to immediately do what with our crowns? Cast our crowns. We, we already know the, how it's going to go down. We already know our role there. We take our crown off and we throw it at the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Check this out. Matthew chapter 27. Skip down with me to verse 26. It says, Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, that's, that's Pilate had him scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Okay, pause real quick. Pause for a second. What we're reading is, some of the most heavy moments uh, in the gospel. And we're talking about our Lord and he's being taken, scourged horrendous, horrendously, horrifically. Jesus himself said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Mark chapter eight, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I must suffer many things, many things. And nobody has ever suffered more than Christ. Internally, I... I I want to just put out there that I believe that Christ suffered more internally than we could even see uh, in the vivid description of his outward suffering. What was happening inwardly on in the heart of Christ, the amount of lashes that were taken to the heart as one by one his own friends betray him, all forsake him. And then he's in the courtyard and even Peter, he, he looks over across the crowd and makes eye contact with Peter as he denies him the third time. Another lash upon the heart of our Lord. Injured by those he loved. Then taken, mocked, brutally beaten all night. It says here now he was taken and scourged, which means he was ripped to shreds. And then, and then it says, the soldiers of the governor, verse 27, they took Jesus into the common hall. The soldiers had a moment. They took Jesus into a back hall, and it says, they gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. By the way, if you look into what the whole band of soldiers is, we, we, we could be talking about hundreds of Roman soldiers back there in a circle around our Lord. Now, they took him, they led him into the common hall. They gathered the band of soldiers. Verse 28, they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Here's, here's our Lord there. You gotta picture it. That they stripped him down. 
this is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's there being openly mocked, stripped naked. They put on a scarlet robe. And it says in verse 29, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. What mockery. You know, in Genesis chapter 22, um, when we have Abraham taking his son Isaac and offering him the, the great prophecy of the Old Testament, so much uh, cross-references between the crucifixion, what happens to Jesus and what happens to Isaac and the heart of the father with Abraham. But there's one, there's one moment that I believe is prophetic about Jesus getting a crown of thorns put upon his head, and that is that they find a ram that is the replacement that takes the place of Isaac caught where? Caught in the thicket. Remember that? And here's, here's our, the, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world caught in the thicket by his own offering his head. You know, these Romans went through the trouble of making a big bunch of thorns and smashing it on Jesus' head just for the mockery. Just for the mockery. And <clears throat> they put a reed in for a scepter in his hand. And what are they doing? They're mocking the fact that he claimed to be king. And what else were they saying? We don't know what they were saying. You can only imagine. You can only imagine that they're, that they're calling our Lord a fool. You know. Whatever. And he was taking it. Doesn't it, it, it's painful to think about such a thing, isn't it? It is for me to think about how horrible that was. Blood pouring down his face, his own blood. And it says this, they mocked him. It says they would take the reed out of his hand. They bowed the knee before him, mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And then they spit upon his face. They spit on him. They would take the reed and smite the top of his head. And after that, after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own raiment back on him, and led him away to be crucified. Consider this uh, for a moment. That all of us have had a part to play in the crucifixion of Jesus. Because he went to bear the sins of the world. Not only that, but we, to this day, can offer up our Lord instead of a crown of glory, a crown of mockery, which is a crown of thorns. There is no neutral. You either glorify our Savior as who he is, the king of the universe, and honor him and live, and live that way, or we, we mockingly give him a crown of thorns. If we call Jesus Lord, but don't do the things he tells us to do, what are we? But hypocrites, we, right? I mean, uh, Jesus himself says, there'll be many in that day that come to me saying, Lord, Lord, you know, we did all these things in your name. And what does Jesus, what does our Lord say to them? Why do you call me Lord? You never actually did the things I told you to do. <clears throat> the sobering thought 
that the Lord convicted me with was, if I, am, if I know God and do not do what the scripture says and glorify him as God and be thankful, then what I'm doing is giving him a crown made of spikes. Nothing, it, it hurts him. It hurts him. I mean, you can imagine the hurt if, I don't know, let's say your son who has a relationship with you and your son calls you father. You know, maybe you don't have a son, but you can imagine, or a daughter. They call you father, but they actually disobeyed you in every possible way or did actions that were contrary to the words. They were, it was just always, there was no respect. There was always just rebellion and the opposite of any relationship. Well, wouldn't that be mockery? What would be, it would almost be better, don't even call me that. You're mocking the name. It says that these soldiers, they took him, they beat him. They took the, the rod out of his hand and beat him over the head with it. Um, and just, just imagine it for a moment, that the blood and spit on our Savior's face, horrifically beaten. And just imagine for a second that you're there in that common hall with all the other Roman soldiers and you look down and you realize that rod is in your own hands because the way you've lived your life has not actually honored him as king. You've not been living like he's king but living like your king, somebody else's king. Um, The truth is when we know God but don't glorify him as God, we crown him with the crown of thorns, the crown of mockery. And I know that's pretty intense, but the truth is that there is no neutral ground. We are either for him or we are against him. And we must take this into consideration. For myself, I truly desire that I would glorify the Lord as Lord. I know I have not fully done that. I know I've not lived up to that. None of us have glorified him fully for what he deserves. But once you say, man, he deserves it, does he not? The king of the universe deserves all the glory and worship we have to offer. Imagine singing worship songs to the Lord, but them them being empty. That's what Paul is, th- is talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. That you, they know God, they know who he is, but they don't really glorify him as God. And, that, and guys, this is something that's inside of you. It's inside of me. I, this is something that I have to confront inside myself, and you have to confront inside of yourself. I can't point at you one day and say, hey, it doesn't seem like you're glorifying God the, in every way that you should. Right? This is an internal thing that we have to accomplish I mean if we are not listen Spurgeon said this right on point a heart that cannot feed at God's table will riot somewhere else he that is not satisfied with the cup that God has filled will soon be a partaker of the cup of devils an unthankful spirit is at the bottom an atheistic spirit unthankful disinterested in glorifying God, an atheistic spirit, denying God. I know that's not the happiest 
message for you. But, but we've been given breath so we can glorify God. What's part of glorifying God? When we're in the spirit of God, filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit, the, the good news seeps out of us. Don't neglect it. Don't deny it. Like, like Pastor Josh said, step out of the comfort zone. I have to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever once been very comfortable speaking. Not comfortable now. But we've got to do these things, right? We've got to step out. Glorify him as God. That's, that's part of it, guys. I won't go any too much further, but another aspect of knowing God but not glorifying him as God is just pure laziness. We know things to be true and we know the action we must take, but we're lazy. We don't feel like it, which is a disgrace to even utter, but it's true, isn't it? Okay, well, in closing, I know, I hope and pray that most of you desire to glorify God with everything that you have. Well, let's, let's shoot for that high mark. I think the image of Christ being crucified and being mocked with a crown of, of thorns should be something uh, that we dwell on, meditate on. What did he suffer there? And at the hands of who? Yes, we can blame the Romans all we want and the Jews all we want, but are we glorifying him right now, today? Amen? All right, would you guys stand up with me? I'll, I'll close in a prayer, Josh will come up. Let's pray. Father, we are nothing without you and we acknowledge that without you we would be lost. God, I pray that what we know would move us to take responsibility. Lord, even in the, the relationships that we have with our family, help us to be uh, straightforward and bold speaking about you. Lord, just have your way with our lives and we are grateful for everything you've done for us. You're the king of kings. God, you're so worthy of all of our praise. We pray that in your holy name. Amen. Yeah.